Hello, and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss privacy and security engineering related topics. I'm your host, Sean Falconer, and today I'm joined by Rachel Ormiston, head of privacy at Asano, and we'll be talking about generative AI and what it means for privacy. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for, for being here. Maybe we can start off with a little bit more of a, a self-introduction. <laughs> so, you know, who are you, what do you do, and how did you get to where you are today? Sure. Um, so thanks again for having me here. Um, I'm Head of Privacy at Susano. Um, my background, like many, is uh, very unusual in the sense that I didn't study privacy. It's something I fell into, but it's something I really, really love. Um, it combines so many different aspects that I just find truly fascinating. Uh, prior to working at Susano, I was at another company where I was a Chief Privacy and Cyber Compliance Officer. And before that, I'd taken on um, compliance and privacy roles. Um, but like, as I say, many people, it was something that I just fell into. And I ended up finding more and more privacy becoming part of my job until it became my full-time job. And I've just loved to see the, the intermingling of sociological aspects of privacy with engineering and technology. And um, definitely just think that there's so much more that uh, privacy pros can do. Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like I probably heard that phrase, I fell into privacy, like half a dozen times with different people that I've interviewed on the show. You know, a lot of people somehow they they trip, they fall, and then suddenly they're working as a in, in privacy. Exactly. And I think it's just, you know, really reflects the emergence of privacy from being a small thing to something that's a huge part of our lives. And, you know, lots of people like us who just find it really, really fascinating and want to do more and help companies to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And then what did you start out, you know, your sort of educational background or where you started your career? Were you coming at this more from the originally from the engineering side or more, you know, I think there's you see sort of two common paths, like people coming from engineering and then there's people who come at from more of the, the legal side of the profession. Yeah, so I started I studied law at university. Um, I studied law and French. Um, and so I was really interested in the human rights aspects and the fundamental rights aspects of privacy. Um, and then I moved from the UK to the US and started working for technology startups. And that's how I became more immersed in the technology aspect of it. Um, so it was just really a great uh, thing to see all the worlds that I was involved in colliding and helping to uh, help influence privacy. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's it's a great time to really be involved in the world of privacy because there's just so much going on and even you know going you know steering things towards the topic that we're going to be talking about today generative ai you know there's so much going on in that space and a big topic of conversation of course is privacy and security and i think like unless you've basically been sleeping under a rock for the past like 6 months if you're listening to this you probably are aware of this like growing surge in interest and investment in generative ai space right now and you know there's tons of innovation companies are trying to figure out countries are trying to regulate it everybody's trying to kind of like figure out what this thing is you know, speaking from your own experience like what was your sort of first impression when you saw for example chat gpt for the first time 
Yeah, and great question. And it's just like you say, like it's been everywhere, hasn't it? Like you just switch on the news, you look at the headlines and everyone's talking about Gen AI and ChatGPT. And so like many, I was really bowled over by understanding what the technology could do. Um, I had heard of AI, I was familiar with AI, I knew of AI and generative AI it isn't entirely new, but I think certainly seeing how it was being used in this very public way was was new. Um, I thought it was fascinating. I was excited uh, by the potential of the technology, but was also terrified as well. And like many privacy pros are, we see that this has the tech this technology has the potential to be very disruptive, making life so much better, helping to bring around efficiency, but it definitely has to be guarded because there's also that capability to do so much that we just don't yet know. Because like you say, we just don't fully understand the technology yet. So I think um, for me, it was that balance of excitement as a consumer and the nervousness is that privacy pro thinking, how do we manage this technology in a way that supports compliance and safety? Yeah, I think you raised a lot of good points there. And even going back to what you're saying about like how everyone's kind of talking about this, like when I look at my Twitter feed or my Google News feed, all it is is basically Gen AI. Gen AI. I think like a year and a half ago, my Twitter feed was all like crypto and blockchain had taken over my my my, my Twitter feed, and now it's all uh, LLMs and and Gen AI. And even um, I went and visited my 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 parents uh, about a month ago, and the first thing my dad said when he picked me up at the airport is like, "Is AI gonna like basically destroy the human race or something like that?" So even my dad, who's in his seventies and is retired, is is you know thinking about this and it's reached you know his world and he's interested in 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 figuring out what it means for him in his everyday life so it's essentially touching every person and every sort of facet of our lives right now it's such a good point because i think when we think about ai you know years ago we think about it in x-files episodes and we think about it as being this dystopian thing that will happen so many years away and yet we're seeing this ai being used in, in our own lifetime which is fantastic but I do think one of the things that's really kind of helped us is the fact that unlike blockchain, which also feels a little bit distant, you know what it is, you hear the headlines, but with Gen AI, you can actually use it. And so there's been that public engagement that's been so much higher for people to actually test the technology themselves. I think that's helped capture imagination in a way that has been harder for other technologies to do. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Like ChatGPT is what I think people have kind of now associated with like Gen AI. Of course, Gen AI is much bigger than just ChatGPT. It's even bigger than GPT and LLMs. But it, that gave everybody this kind of like application that was really fascinating. The fact that you could, you know, generate text or, you know, you question answer, it becomes like your buddy, your expert to some extent. And people are leveraging that now, that tool and sort of versions of that tool that they're crafting to do all kinds of stuff, including, um, you know, improving their workflows and stuff. But I think, you know, one of the points you also raised earlier was that you know, the majority of people don't understand this technology. Even people who have worked in AI and ML space have a hard time like explaining the results sometimes because it is a real shift in the way that like compute works. When you think about it uh, from like a technical perspective, like when we think about writing algorithms is very much like deterministic. This is how it's going to work. When you're working with these large language models and other, you know, uh, about applications of neural network, it's a lot more black box. You don't really know why a particular answer is 
created, even if you were the person who designed that system in the first place. And I think that is like the hard part for a lot of people, uh, both from you know a privacy security perspective and even from an application perspective and a fear perspective of like, what is going on here and should I be concerned about it? Absolutely. And I think uh, the fact that there is so many unknowns means that you don't quite know what the use cases of using that technology are as well. So at the front end, when you're thinking about how to start using it, you start off thinking in a very small way because this is brand new, but then you start thinking about how it can grow and grow and grow. But it's hard to know how to do that safely when you still don't know how the technology works and what those potential outcomes could be. And I think that's definitely one of the things that makes as nervous in the privacy community and other communities as well, because Gen AI, it's definitely privacy security, but there's also IP components there as well, which make it you know very very interesting from that that use case scenario. So, how, from a privacy perspective, like how do you see what are what are some of the risks associated with you know generative AI and maybe in particular like you know large language models. Sure. So I think the first thing that comes into mind is what data are you putting into the Gen AI? Um, because are you putting in personal data? Are you putting in confidential information or proprietary information? And if you are, do you have the permission to do that? And um, also, like thinking about when you're putting that data, have you told someone that you're going to be doing this with it? And I think those are the biggest questions that we really have around it is what is given that we don't know how the technology is fully being used and what the output is going to be and that the data has been used to develop those language models we know that there is retention issues associated with that so if you put something in there it's going to be really hard to get it back out and if you're putting something in there that's sensitive that may in fact um, compromise the safety of that data and it being accessible so i think there's a large number of issues that really come down to those basic privacy points of who are you sharing it with? What are you putting in? Why are you putting it in? And do you have permission to do so? Um, but certainly with, I think, the fact that Gen AI, with all those unknown test cases, I think that's what makes it a little bit scarier. Yeah, I think you know one of the things that is a real change in the way that we think about technology is when it comes to uh, Gen AI is that you know, the model has no delete button. You know, the, the way we think about tech, historical technology is even if you have a really complicated system where PII and sensitive data ends up all over the place, like you kind of understand that you need to go find those locations and delete it. But there's no location to find in a neural network to delete something. It's basically an aggregation of a bunch of numbers and the relationships between those numbers. And it gets really complicated, but like you can't suddenly just unlearn what has been learned. Even our, um, I heard this expression recently where someone described um, uh, AI model is essentially, or, or, or you know, LLMs as a, it's a child with the memory of an elephant, essentially. Like it's, it's, it's a little baby, but you don't know what it's going to do, but it has massive memory and it's never going to forget. Essentially. I, I love that analogy. That's so great. And I think it, it sums up perfectly because we are still in this stage of infancy of the technology, but we're using it as though we um, are seeing it as a much more mature product. And so there definitely is that learning curve that we need to have. I think typically when it comes to privacy, you can use technology and know that you can get it back in some way or you can delete it. But with this, this presents a whole new challenge of us exploring the product whilst not being able to delete that data, like you say. So it's certainly a new thing for us, I'd say, um, or certainly in, in this scenario, it's a lot more um, more newer for a lot of individuals. I think that's what makes it really hard to operationalize as well. Yeah, absolutely. And recently, you know, Italy became the first you know Western country to ban 
ChatGPT. You know, what's kind of the your your perception on that? Like, what what is the story behind that? Why did they do this? And they they have subsequently removed that ban. Yeah. So earlier this year, Italy had um, imposed a temporary and immediate block for uh, ChatGPT to be processing uh, the data of Italian citizens. It was lifted after a month of investigations. Um, particularly around how the data of minors was being processed and potential security issues. Um, And I think what that really showed was the fact that um, AI does have privacy aspects. It shows that privacy regulators are paying attention and they're exploring how this, this new technology can be used. And we've seen that it's not, although Italy was the first, there were other countries that did follow and are still investigating the potential impact of ChatGPT. But we're also seeing that other Gen AI providers are also um, being delayed um, in Europe because of privacy issues. So I think it's really just showing us that um, there really have to be guardrails around how you use ChatGPT, not just from a privacy perspective, but also that security perspective as well. And I think what the Italian one really showed us was um, with some of the the, the age um, concerns around the data that was being processed for minors, there's perhaps some age safeguards that could have been, that they wanted to put in place. Um, and I think it's really just a sort of learning exercise for other companies that are going into this space. Yeah, I think that's that's one I hadn't even really thought of. Like, uh, you know, clearly, um, I think you know when I first saw ChatGPT and and saw some of the privacy concerns, like in a lot of ways, I was sort of dismissive of like, well, you know, I'm not going to copy you know my banking information in a ChatGPT. But the, the the thing that you is very natural for people to do is they might take you know an email. Or, you know, a, maybe it's a doctor's note and it's like, you know, paste it in and be like, explain this thing to me. And that's a very natural thing to do. And you're not necessarily thinking like, oh, I just like shared this thing with the, this model. And then I don't really know necessarily how it's going to be used. And then you apply that to minors and things get, you know, even more complicated. And uh, and it's something that you know, the industry and the technology providers need to put some thought into uh, in terms of what that means for essentially the users of the of the technology. Absolutely. I think it's it's been interesting to see some of the discussions around chat GPT being used in schools as well. I know that there's countries and states that have had bans for using chat GPT in schools, um, but there's also that argument of if they can't use chat GPT in school in a safe environment with the right guardrails, then how can they be prepared to use it when chat GPT or other tools inevitably become part of the workplace? So it's been interesting to see the dialogue around how do you make it safe for them to not have their data abused? How do you get them to use it? Um, but also thinking about that future state as well, which I think has been really fascinating to see as so think about how this technology evolves. Yeah, and I think banning, you know, I, I understand sort of that reaction, but it's not really a solve because if someone is finds enough value in the technology that they're using it, even using it in a way that, is providing some, you know, create some risk for them. Well, they're going to just eventually, like, even if you ban ChatGPT, they're going to find, you know, another product that does a similar thing. Or you can even just use, you know, write your own um, uh, version of it that hits the OpenAI APIs or one of the other large language models that are, you know, available in the open source community. Use those APIs and run it on your local host. Like, how are you going to ban something like that? It's so it doesn't solve sort of the fundamental problem. So, from your perspective, like, what are what are some of the ways that companies can essentially mitigate the risk of these products and ensure that privacy is protected? 
Yeah. Uh, so I think the first thing is thinking about sort of governance layer that you want to have in place. So that could be talking with your leadership, talking with your teams around what is the position that you want to have as an organisation. Do you want to ban any gen AI altogether or do you want to use it? And if so, what are the guardrails you want to have around that? And then I think the next step is to actually share the guardrails that you want to have in place, whether it be through a policy or guidelines. And I think from a business perspective, it's always much easier to tell the business what they can do rather than what they can't do. So thinking about um, giving them examples of you can use Gen AI in these scenarios, but remember not to use um, the tool in this way. And it might be saying we don't allow you to use customer data, personal data, but you can use it for these prompts. I think just getting that in place will help companies to make sure that they're using the technology, but in a way that is approved, meets compliance obligations, and gives employees that understanding of how they can and can't use the tooling. And I think the other thing to do to supplement that is just training, because like you and I said at the start of this conversation, there have been so many headlines about ChatGPT, about BARD, about all the other Gen AI tools. And I think it's very hard for people to know what's right and what's wrong. And I think having some training just to help dispel some of those myths, to help educate around what your company views as being like the core policies, I think that can really, really help organisations just to get ahead of any regulations that do come into effect and to make sure that they're setting themselves up as a trustworthy provider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do think that I, I agree that there's, uh, like a huge educational part part of this, right? It's similar to even I imagine like the the early internet. You know, people were trying to like figure it out. They didn't know, you know, what what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. Same with you know mobile and any of these sort of like technology innovations. And I think from a, a regulation standpoint, a policy perspective, like they're always going to be sort of behind the technology and the innovation, and they're scrambling to kind of catch up. But I think one of the things that businesses, organizations, consumers can do is put some time into educating themselves and making sure that their employees are educated as well. Absolutely. I think that what we're seeing is that nobody wants to stunt innovation. We want to see these tools emerge. And if it makes life easier for all of us, it makes it safer. We all want that. But I think there definitely is um, a lagging effect between regulation and technology. And so I think it's definitely upon a lot of technology providers to help influence the regulation, to help provide feedback, to be part of the consultation process and to help try and um, set up safe environments for that technology to be pioneered in a way that can support the regulations and concerns that people do have. So I I do think that's going to continue over the next few years. And I, I think it will be exciting to watch, but there is definitely that lag. And I think that does create some uncertainty for businesses so the more they can do to understand their use cases of the technology the more they can be prepared uh, to help support those changes as needed hey there it's sean host of partially redacted you probably guessed that since at this point in the interview you probably recognize my voice i've been told for years that i have a face for podcasting but no one has mentioned whether i have a voice for podcasting so sorry about that hopefully the awesome guest makes up for it anyway if you're enjoying this episode, please support the show by subscribing and telling your friends. You can also join Partially Adapted community at skyflow.com slash community. Okay, that's enough for me. Back to the show. Yeah, and I think from a business perspective, for those that are investing in Gen AI technologies, you know, whether they are an actual AI company or they're leveraging the tools and technologies to enhance, you know, their existing product offerings, I think it's a mis- it would be a mistake to sort of wait until regulations tell you to do something that 
you probably inherently know is the right thing to do because you're going to be in a situation a, a couple of years from now when these regulations do get, start to get enforced where it might be really, really hard to sort of unravel what the, the position you are in from a technology perspective, just like we saw when GDPR came into effect and suddenly you you, you had to comply with you know, certain data residency laws, um, not being able to transfer data you know across the Atlantic and so forth. And that has, you know, that's the fallout from that is still being you know heavily felt by a number of different companies. Oh, for sure. I think sometimes it's a case of you don't, you shouldn't need to be told to do something. You should just do it because that's what makes more sense. And um, it almost feels like it's just, you know, in the environment that we're in, where trust is part of the currency that you work in, you you want to do what's right for your consumer and what's right for your customer, even before you're told to do it. And I think that's where a lot of companies are really starting to differentiate themselves of thinking about that trustworthy AI model, thinking about how they can be responsible. We want to use the technology that's available to us, but we want to do it in the right way. And certainly I'm sure companies will make mistakes along the way, but thinking about how they can scale for that growth will be helpful. Um, just, I think, as part of their, their ongoing relationships, I think it's going to be critical. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see, even outside of AI, more and more companies uh, focus on privacy as a key differentiator for themselves because there there is more consumer awareness and concern around it. But I think that's even more critically important in the world of AI because there is just there's I think like a, a built-in fear around it and a lack of understanding. So it's really really important I think to make sure that people understand what you're doing from a privacy and security perspective so they can trust that the technology is not doing something unethical. From um, an ethics standpoint, like what are some of the ethical considerations that companies investing in these technologies should be thinking about and taking into account when they want to you know, leverage generative AI? Yeah, I think... Um just like we mentioned a few moments ago, there is that question mark around what the, the data does, what the training models do. And so I think from that ethics perspective, there is a question around, do we want to use this technology? And if so, what do we want to use it for? Um, I think that can help companies understand, um, are they using the technology in the right way? It's sometimes just so easy to rely on technology, but it might not be the right thing. So I think asking those initial questions. But I think the other concerns are just knowing that the tooling is based on training models that are based on data. We don't know what kind of data is in there. So is it representative? Is it ethical? Um, has it been provided based on data that's been collected in the right way? So I think there's definitely a number of concerns that people want to bear in mind as they're using the technology and always just verifying the output as well with for human accuracy, especially at these early stages. It's, it's so great to see the technology when it works perfectly, but we can't assume that. And so there's definitely question marks around when we do get those outputs. Um, is this what we're expecting to see? And we're just verifying uh, to make sure that it's correct as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think yeah, you raise a, a, another like really good point around just even the, the ethical considerations around the training data. Like, is your training data... Um, you know, diverse enough for essentially your use cases so that it's not going to generate essentially biased responses to, to individuals, which could, you know, really influence or, you know, shape in, uh, the, whatever someone's using the technology for. And that could have a really negative impact that like it may be unintentional, but could have a, a major negative impact. 
Absolutely. And we've been hearing about that algorithmic bias for a long time. I think it's definitely much more um, of concern right now because we just have those question marks around the data. And so it might be that as this evolves, there's going to be more around having these bias audits to make sure that you are auditing the data you're getting. Does it, is it representative enough for, for what you're looking for? And I think that's going to be a huge question mark that we, we still have to learn more on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when it comes to individuals and thinking about like leveraging these technologies, like what should they be thinking about? Like what steps should they be taking to essentially safeguard some of their personal information? Yeah, I think that the first rule is don't put in anything too personal. Like you said, don't put in your bank details. Um, but just thinking about information that you don't want to be made public. Um, so I think there's definitely some information that you feel comfortable um, sharing, but there's others that you don't. Just having that number one rule of what do I not want to be shared with? And just don't put in too much personal information, at least right now, um, while the tool is at this stage. I think that's probably the most critical component. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing, and you mentioned this earlier about the idea of validating essentially what you're getting, because you know one of the areas that tools like ChatGPT struggle in is they don't give you source attribution. You don't necessarily know why it's telling you what it's selling you, and I and even and, and people are starting to essentially take advantage of that. They're exploiting the like hallucinations that are coming from these LLMs. For example, I heard about a recent one where for for uh, creation of code, sometimes if you prompt you know ChatGPT to um, you know write some some sort of piece of code, it's going to essentially make up a package name. Uh, it's going to hallucinate a chat package name. And then attackers are going and they're going in and they're creating those packages that were an hallucination. They don't actually exist, but then they're creating those packages uh, to be to do something essentially uh, you know malicious. So as somebody leveraging those tools, not only do you need to validate that the package exists, but then you need to check to see does that package actually do the thing that I think it's going to do, or is someone trying to like exploit the system essentially? Absolutely. And the hallucination part is so fascinating because I think that there is um, a human, we, as humans, we, we actually trust the technology, don't we? we? We see something, we believe it. And we sometimes don't do that spot check of actually verifying. And I think what you just said, is, it makes perfect sense. But it's something that I think is probably unforeseeable for a lot of individuals who are used to just relying on technology and expecting it to be accurate. There is that step that I think people do need to take now just to do that verification because it's something that they probably haven't done before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's also something I think like personal that gets created in these chat-like systems because it's not quite the same as going to like the Google search box and typing in something and then seeing a web page response even if they take a snippet one you have the source but it, it's clearly like a technology that's just you know spitting something out that someone has written versus in the something like chat gpt it's like writing it out word for word it feels a little bit more personal like you're talking to somebody and i think that creates an environment where some individuals feel safer essentially sharing more private information which can potentially lead to some of these problems yeah, I think I read uh, a study that said from a small test that they conducted 
I think it was like 6% of people who'd been um, interacting with Gene AI hadn't recognized it was a machine. They, they believed it was a human. And that's obviously only going to get harder as the technology evolves. And so I think there is that perception that when you're giving information to a human versus giving information to a machine, you, you perhaps do behave differently in what you do want to share. And I think that's another element of maybe just um, companies as they are going through this, making it really clear about when the Gen AI is involved, making it very clear to individuals about when they're interacting. It comes down to the privacy notices, but maybe it's actually got to be more obvious than that rather than it being in a privacy policy at the bottom of the page. They probably do have to think about the UX for that to make it super clear to users. Um, but it's, it's definitely fascinating. Yeah, I used to work in the conversational AI and conversational design space and, uh, you know, designing uh, chatbot systems and so forth. And one of the big things from a design perspective that was always encouraged was to make sure that you tell the user when they're essentially interacting with a bot versus a human to set that expectation. Part of that was because the chatbot technology and the AI systems were not that great. So that way, if someone got frustrated with the answer, they weren't frustrated thinking it was like just an, uh, like an incompetent human. <laughs> they they could transfer the conversation to a human at that point. But I think it also is important just to, uh, from a, like a context setting to be clear about what am I interacting with so that uh, I understand as the user of that system, you know, what what are the sort of guardrails around this thing? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it, the, the survey I just mentioned is probably out of date already because that's how fast the technology is evolving. And it, and it does feel like that, that you you read something, you, you, you're trying to think about how to sort, support it and things are changing all around us and it becomes harder for organizations to do. So I think the more that they can think ahead uh, the, the better they'll be to help scale for, for all these changes. But it's definitely such a, a fast-moving landscape that it is, it is challenging, for sure. Mm -hmm. And from a policy perspective, like what are your thoughts around what the right, like what kind of form will these regulations end up taking uh, in terms of, you know, uh, putting some sort of controls around these technologies and, and helping ensure that people's privacy rights are actually adhered to? Yeah, um, so the EU have put in place um, a proposed uh, AI regulation as part of their digital strategy. Um, I think what the current status of that is that it's going to go forward for um, approval with the Council of Europe, and I think that's expected later this year. But if that becomes effective, it comes into effect potentially in 2025. And obviously, as I've just mentioned, the technology is moving so fast that 2025 is so far away in, in the grand scheme of things. So I think what we're likely to see is a little bit of um, regulation like the, the EU's um, AI regulation um, supported by voluntary codes of practice, which is what we're starting to see a bit more of from some of the regulators. On this side of the pond, I know that there's a lot of uh, discussion around bipartisan bills, uh, codes of conduct, and there's the White House AI Bill of Rights. So I think what we're really seeing is a convergence of quick fixes and long-term goals. Uh, the quick fix is to help try and provide that guidance in the interim while that regulation is pending. Um, so it's it's going to be, I suppose, quite challenging again for com for companies to understand what do we need to do and what do we want to do. But really paying attention to those frameworks and codes of practice, I think, will be vital. 
Yeah, 2025 feels like a very long way, a time away in this world with how everything's moved so quickly, like in the last like six months to a year. I mean, basically our robot overlords will have taken over uh, by 2025. So uh, I think as a business or a consumer, we need to, uh, you need to be start making some, some headway on these, some of these problems now rather than waiting for some of those regulations to kind of take form. Definitely. And I think that's why some of the guidance that we're, we're seeing, it's going to be piecemeal because it's going to be something rather than nothing, but it's going to be perfect. And I think for, for many privacy pros, we're, we're used to this uncertainty. We see things coming out piece by piece and we just have to work with it and try and think about what makes the most sense. But I think that it's, it's definitely challenging when we think about some of these technology aspects of it. Uh, they're, they're, they're really technical and a bit more complex than sometimes what we are used to doing. So it's going to take a lot more, um, you know, relying on working with other individuals, working with technologists, working with engineers in a way that perhaps um, regulators haven't done before. And certainly organizations are going to be working with as well. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, looking is sort of looking towards that future. And of course, it's so hard to to like even predict these things, because I think if we looked at this thing a year and a half ago, we wouldn't predict where we are today. But what is your sort of thoughts around the future of the space and how we can harness its potential while ensuring that, you know, it doesn't essentially pose a threat to people's personal privacy? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And I think, honestly, my, my viewpoint changes week by week. It really does, because I think about how this technology is being used. I think we, a couple of months ago, it felt like um, this could have been a fad. It felt like it could have been just overhyped. I think what we're realizing is that this technology is here to stay in some shape or form. Probably the way that it's being used just now will mature and it'll be more thoughtful. There'll probably more guardrails, more age verifications. Um, I think that's possibly the future, but I think the technology is here to stay. I, I think it's a good thing that it stays, but we just want to make sure that the, the right support and uh, safety controls are in place as well. And I think that's where a lot of the question marks are, given how the technology is being used right now, how it will work. Um, and I think that that's uh, what companies can do as they're thinking about this, is really think about understanding the data they have really thinking about their privacy impact assessments to make sure that they are preparing for the use cases that are going to change and how this technology evolves. And again, always thinking about that transparency and building trust so that they're not doing anything that's unexpected. I think if companies can do that, it sets them up really well for when we do see the technology evolve and change as we fully expect it to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the things you mentioned earlier in our conversation was about how companies need to think through sort of the governance rules of how uh, either like the usage of the models or how they're sharing information. Because I think that's one of the things that gets missed some of the times when we talk about like the technology guardrails of how we prevent leakage of PII into these systems. It's either like we're going to put a firewall basically around it and not allow sharing of the information, or we're going to run essentially our own private instance of these things and we can put company information in. But then how do you control access? You know, how do you make sure that, you know, Susie in accounting has a different view of that information versus, you know, Joe and customer support. And that is, I think, the 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 really fundamental problem that companies need to to think through and solve. And it's a very difficult one to to, to solve, but you're going to need that. It's not necessarily about just running your own sort of private instance of the thing. 
Yeah, and I think it's really going to come down to companies thinking about what makes the most sense for them. Just because someone else is doing it or they're doing it a particular way, it might not make the most sense for your organisation, depending on what space you're in, depending on how your company is set up, depending on what Susie in accounting is wanting to do with the data. Um, so it really, I think it comes down to companies being very thoughtful. And it may mean that as they're building out these sprints, they want to bake an extra time just to make sure that they are going through those design processes in a, in a more mindful manner. I think companies a few years ago, when they were doing their privacy impact assessments, they took longer, they built up muscle memory, it gets quicker. And I think there's perhaps um, some belief that they can do something similar. It probably needs a bit more time in these early stages. So just really being thoughtful, building in that time to make sure that you are building things the right way. And the way I always think of it about it is if you're building it the right way, hopefully that stands you in better stead than having to rebuild it because you built it wrong in the first place. So I think if they can do that, that will hopefully help support their, their long-term goals. Yeah, I think that's really, really good advice for anybody that, any companies that are thinking about um, or, you know, coming up with products in the space is, is, it's, it's that thoughtfulness and sort of taking a little bit more time and care because the potential impact, negative impact of these technologies could be uh, quite severe. So kind of just putting a little more thought into it before you just, you know, move fast and break things. It's, it's a different you know mode of operation, I think, for businesses than maybe what we've seen historically. So, you know, as we start to wrap up, uh, Rachel, is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, I think just this is such a, a great and fascinating topic and one that we're going to see lots more involvement in over the next few years. I think the, the, the concern is just, as we mentioned, that regulation um, being outpaced by technology. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how um, how we do bridge that gap internally with organisations helping to determine what makes the most sense for them as they build trust and compliance. So I think just to kind of end on, I think my biggest advice would be for companies to just really take those steps to understand their data, go back to their, their ROPAs, their data maps, thinking about their privacy impact assessments and, and building out those governance models to help secure um, that they're they're doing the right thing. I think if companies can do that whilst monitoring all these, these changes, I think that will put them really good stead for the future. Uh, well, that's, I think that's a, a great place to leave it. Rachel, I want to thank you so much for, for being here. I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure this is one of many conversations both you and I will be having, uh, you know, separately and maybe together over, over the next uh, year or so, uh, talking about privacy security challenges of, of this, you know, new technology that's kind of taken the world by storm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Cheers. Bye.